Welcome back for part two of our current message series, Miracles. And I'm so glad that you are here for what is going to be, I believe, a very necessary exploration into God's Word. Last week, we talked about miracles of deliverance, a different kind of uh, talk than we do, but, uh, you know, the feedback that we've gotten since, uh, it was helpful uh, for a lot of people, and so I'm glad that we covered that because we need to because it's mentioned so frequently in the Bible. Next week, when we wrap up this series, I'm going to talk to you straight out of the scriptures in regards to miracles of healing, miracles of healing. I believe Listen now, that Jesus still does miracles today. I've got a lot of, I've, I've got a lot of people in my family that are, are, are involved in the medical field, lots and lots of them. And, and I value and I appreciate the medical field, doctors, nurses, scientists who come up with medications, all that. And I know that they often, and some give credit to God and some don't. We understand that for uh, God uses people like that to provide healing. But I believe, I believe, in addition to that, that God does supernatural acts of healing that there is no medical explanation for whatsoever. And next week, at the conclusion of talking about it, we're going to pray for people that uh, need healing in their body or healing really in their mind or healing from a broken heart. And God does all kind of healings, and we're going to talk about that next week. Now, in a few moments... We're going to journey in part two into the New Testament, but just before we do, I want us to check out a couple of verses that are out of the Old Testament. One is describing a period of time in David's life, and it's actually a time that I've been studying in my personal devotions. Is, you know, the talk this morning is not out of my personal devotions, completely separate, but, you know, I, as I've been studying and then working on this talk and doing my devotions and working on this talk, you know, certainly this was applicable for what we're talking about today, and it's, you know, David's been on the run from, from Saul, and Saul's hunting him down, and David has two opportunities to actually kill Saul, and he doesn't. He says, who am I to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed, and, and uh, you know, the Bible is so open. You know, it really says this. This is in the Bible that, that what, no, I'm not even, yeah, I will go there, that Saul went into a cave, and I'll just give you the, the nice version. He had to go to the restroom, and while, it, the Bible actually says that. That's the fact. He went into a cave, and uh, he went to use the restroom. Surprise, surprise, guess who was in the a cave? Guess who could have killed him? David, but David chose not to on that occasion, another occasion, but uh, Saul is constantly hunting David down. He wants to kill him, and this is talking about that time in his life, and I want you to look up here on the screen, and I want you to notice uh, what it says. This is 1 Samuel 23, the B part of verse 14. It says, day after day, Saul searched for him, him being David, but read this next portion with me. Everybody, let's read it together. Help me out. But God did not give David into his hands. Why was Saul unable to kill David? Because God was protecting David, all right? Now, this is something that, that David actually says. This is out of Psalm 37. This is uh, David's words, and I want you to look at what he says. Psalm 37, he says this, The Lord saves the righteous, look at these three words, and protects them in times of trouble. He helps them and rescues them. He saves them from the wicked because they go to him for, what's that word, everybody? For protection. They go to him, that God protects his kids. Now, 
Uh, what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments, uh, I never claim to be a know-it-all. I, I really personally, uh, I'm being transparent, I don't like know-it-alls. I don't hang out with know-it-alls. I, I just don't even like. And I'm not a know-it-all. There's so many things that um, I, I know, but more things that I don't know. And sometimes when I give a talk like I am today, I, I do so with a disclosure that I don't always understand why God does some of the things he does and the ways that he does them. I, I don't understand, even if, as we talk about protection today, how that sometimes God protects and then it seems he's not protected. And then he's, you know, I, I don't understand how that works. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. And I just give that up to you. I don't understand, for example, I don't understand why, I'm just being transparent, why some people are healed on earth and for other people, their healing occurs in heaven. I don't understand that. I don't understand why God often allows wicked people to prosper while some followers of Jesus encounter in their life, it seems like for much, much of their life, problems and pain. I don't understand that. I, I don't understand why that happens. A wicked prosper and sometimes good, godly people walk through challenges. I, there's a lot I don't understand. I don't understand why the Georgia Bulldogs have not won a national championship since 1980. I don't understand that. How can they be God's favorite football team, which they are, and not win a national championship, except it's tethered, I'm sure, to the wicked prosper. And so it's somehow wrapped around that. I don't, I don't know. But I don't understand that. I don't understand how a miracle-working God, who can most definitely save and protect, and yet sometimes he allows his children to walk through some stuff that makes it look as though his children are defenseless and hopeless. So... There's things we don't understand, but we're okay with that, I think, or we should be, because we always come back to this fundamental reality, even when we don't understand the ways of God or the timing of God or why God answers a prayer here and not there, it always comes back to this reality that I hope you hang on to, and that is our God is a good God. And let me give you a little clue here. He sees things you and I can't see. He knows things that you and I don't know. He's able to do things that you and I cannot do. So, if you will dial fully in for, for the remainder of this message, I hope you will. I truly believe that you're going to grasp once again that Jesus is, in fact, a miracle-working God and that your faith, for you personally, your faith is going to rise. So I'm going to give you two really big thoughts here today. And uh, I want you to get them down somewhere if you'd like. You can put them on your phone or your tablet or write them down somewhere. But two big thoughts. Big thought number one is this. All right, this is so important, and it will encourage your faith. It will really help you to understand things when you walk through a challenge. Big thought number one is this. Before you ever experience a problem, any problem, before you ever experience a problem, God already has a plan. Before you ever experience a problem, God already has a plan. One writer, I read this some years ago, but I just brought his statement with me today. This particular writer says this, miracles always begin with problems. Miracles always begin with problems. Therefore, he writes, the greater our problems, the more likely candidates that we become for bigger miracles. Miracles always begin with problems. Now, that's a great statement. Wouldn't you agree? And it's a true statement. Yet, a lot of you are thinking the same way that I'm thinking right now. I actually prefer not to be in a position where I need any kind of big miracle. How many of you are with me on that? I, I want to be at a place where I don't need 
a, a big miracle, but it is good to know that if we need a big miracle, that God is able to provide one. And, uh, but, you know, the reality is we have problems. All of us have problems. If you don't know you have problems, you've got a problem. <laughs> and uh, I've been following Jesus since I was 15 years old, and I'm still waiting for my problems to end. Does anybody else feel like that? I've been a Christian a long time. Is there anybody else that has ever felt this way? My problems do not end. They just change. They just change. You know, this problem's passed. All right, shelve that. You know, turn the page. But all right, here's a new set of problems. Now, uh, here is your pastor, somebody that cares about you a whole lot, and somebody that loves you and prays for you. I would love nothing more than to tell you that you have dealt, as of right now, this very moment, which is 10-12 on a Sunday morning. I think it's February the 10th, isn't it? I would love to tell you that your problems are over that you have dealt with your last problem. How many of you would just cheer that? Yay, yay, yay. How many of you would celebrate? Wouldn't that be great if I told you that your problems were now over? But, and that all sounds good, but you wouldn't like the next part of what I'd have to tell you. Then I'd have to follow it up by telling you, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to die. And you'd say, oh, well, I don't mind a few problems. Because you and I, how many of you know this? Our problems are not going to end until we get to heaven. Now, we have God with us every step of the way, but, uh, you know, I'd love to tell you that you're never going to have to deal with problems again. Now, uh, that would be wonderful, but uh, all it takes is for us to journey into the scriptures and to come in contact with a guy like I want to talk about for the next few moments, who outside of Jesus, you know that I talk about Paul quite a lot, just this phenomenal church leader who is responsible for writing over half or about half of the New Testament outside of Jesus uh, the greatest person ever, I believe, to step foot on this earth. And yet it seems that Paul, this guy who was so powerfully used of God, that, that he was always, it seems, neck deep in some kind of problem in his life or some kind of pain going on in his life. And, and most everybody in this place can relate to that. But what we usually forget, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, what we usually forget is something that Paul always remembered, and that is before we ever experience a problem, before we ever experience a problem, God already has a plan. We forget that, but Paul never forgot it. He just had the functionality of his life with that. Hey, I've, I've got problems, and you'll see in a scripture I'm going to read at the end of the talk, you're like, this guy lost his ever-loving mind. But it's not, and it wasn't like he was saying, I love problems and hardships and difficulties. It wasn't that, but he just knew that no matter what he was facing in his life, that even as he walked into a problem, that God already had a plan for the problem that he was a part of. And, you know, that's not just in Paul's day. That's not just in the New Testament. That's not like just in our day. That goes all the way back to the early pages of even the old, old covenant, the Old Testament, the, the scriptures, like right in the beginning, like right in the very beginning. And so, and it starts early. It starts in Genesis. And God says to Noah, hey, I want you to build an ark. And he says, what's an ark? And he said, I'll tell you, I'll give you the plans because it's going to rain. And he's like, what's rain? Because there not been like rain before. And, uh, but before there was ever the problem, the problem of the flood, God had a plan and God was going to protect Noah. God was going to protect Noah and his family by using an ark. 
I mean, just think about it again and again in the scriptures. We see this happening. Jonah is running in rebellion against God. And so he's like, you know, God wants him to, you know, talk about him to a particular group of people that, by the way, Jonah did not like. He despised, actually. And he had a different plan than God's plan. So he, you know, rather than go and tell people how much God loved them because he didn't love them, he got on a different boat, went in a different direction. God sent a storm. Uh, they threw him ultimately overboard, you know, to stop the, you know, raging seas. But he was swallowed up. Anybody remember this story? Huh? You learned it maybe in Sunday school if you went to church when you were a little kid. He got swallowed up by what? Uh, a great fish. Oh, well, he got swallowed up by a great fish. See, uh, Jonah had a problem. They're going to throw him overboard. But before he ever had his problem, God already had a plan because he was going to preserve him and ultimately send him to the place that he was refusing to go. This goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Remember the Israelites, how that God led them out of Egyptian captivity and and Moses go back and he'd say, let my people go. And, And Pharaoh would say, all right, you know, the plagues and all the challenges would be so huge and Pharaoh would relent temporarily and he'd say, all right, go. And then he'd change his mind, bring them back. Don't let them go. The guys can go, but the women and children can. Hey, you know, you can go, but they, and he's just, and again and again, but finally God says, you know, um, you're going to leave this place. And Pharaoh says to, says to Moses, hey, you're, you know, uh, you're never, you're never going to see my face again. And, uh, you know, if, if you ever see me again, I'm going to kill you. And Moses says, you're never going to see me again because God's going to deliver. And God led them out of captivity. And it just looked like everything was going to be amazing and wonderful till they come to the Red Sea. And they've got the sea in front of them at flood stage. And now Pharaoh has changed his mind again. I mean, can you believe it? And so he sent this massive army. So they have the Red Sea. That's a problem in front of them. And how many of you know the Egyptian army behind them is a big problem, but God already had a plan. And the Bible says, I love the language, that God sent a strong east wind throughout the night. And it divided. And, um, you know, some of you say, I don't, I don't believe. I don't believe God can do that. Well, that's your problem. That's not God's problem. Because God can do that, and God did do that, and he opened up the sea, and then, you know, because when people have problems, God's already ahead of the problem, and he's got a plan. So let's jump into the New Testament, talk about Paul, and we'll mention one of his close friends, by the way, because he has this mammoth problem. He goes into this community, and, you know, he's, uh, he has an assignment that he is to carry out, and as he and his friend are walking throughout this community, there is a slave girl who just follows them day after day, hour after hour. This slave girl, and we talked about, you know, uh, miracles of deliverance last week. This, this slave girl, it's not like she was oppressed or she was intimidated. You know, she was actually possessed by a demonic spirit, and she would just follow Paul and Silas throughout the town, and she was just calling out, hey, these are sons of the Most High God. These are children. You know, this is what, blah, 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 blah. And she'd just go on day after day, day after day. And finally, finally, this slave girl, who, by the way, made a ton of money. She was a slave girl. She had owners. Can you imagine that? And she made a ton of money for them because she was, she was, she was proficient in fortune telling. And that was, we know this through the influence of the demonic activity that was a part of her life. And so she just follows Paul and Silas day after day. And finally, Paul has had enough. He's had it up to here and he turns around and he looks at this slave girl and he's not, he's not angry at her, but he's angry at the demonic spirit within her. Remember what Paul said last 
last week, our, our battle is not, you remember that from last week? Our battle is not with people, but, you know, rulers and principalities and powers of darkness. It's not people. She was not Paul's problem. It was the demonic spirit that was possessing her body. And Paul had just had enough. And he turned around and he rebuked that demonic spirit in her. And that demonic spirit left her immediately and her ability to tell fortunes, you know, for, uh, you know, for money, uh, that's gone. And so, you know, the profits dry up and, and these owners of the slave girl are like majorly ticked off and they roll up other people. So we know this because by the time we get, look at this, this is Acts 16, I believe. I want you to see this on the screen. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. It's not long after that. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Does anybody recognize a problem with that, by the way? That's a problem. That's a problem. Somebody gets stripped you and beat, beat you with wooden rods. That's a problem. That's a bad day. That's worse than Chick-fil-A being leveled on South Florida Avenue. <laughs> I'm just telling you, just so you know. Much worse. Uh, they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that Paul and Silas didn't escape. So, now here's, here's some stuff that's just, you know, I don't want us to dodge around complicated and tension and challenges that we sometimes face in our mind and we got to think through and we got to go back fundamentally to God's a good God, even though I don't always understand what's going on. Because when you think about everything that, that Paul and Silas are going through, what's Paul and Silas up to when this went down? Are they living in rebellion against God? No. Had they chosen a deliberate path of disobedience? Not at all. Are they like full steam ahead on this all-out sin binge? Is that what has brought them into this community? Not at all. You know why they were in this community? They were actually followers of Jesus, and they were sharing the gospel. They were trying to reach people that were far from God. If you remember from the Scripture's brilliant study, you ought to do it sometime. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, who's powerfully used by God as well, he's like taking his ministry to the Jews, and, and Paul has a ministry to the Gentiles, and God eventually opens up the eyes of Peter, and he says, hey, this is, this is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles. And how many of you know that it's a good thing for us that the gospel's for Gentiles as well? Because the vast majority of us are, uh, are Gentiles. And uh, how many of you knew that already? And in fact, you can look at the neighbor next to you and say, you Gentile, you. Just look at him, just say it. All right? You're glad for the ministry. You're glad for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he's trying to do everything he can to reach Gentiles and people that are far from God. And look at where it lands him. Now, take Paul out of this situation for just a moment, all right, in our imagination. Take him out and put yourself in there. How would you have reacted? You think you would have been tempted? You don't have to raise your hand. Well, I, I'll raise mine because I think I'd be tempted to say, God, this isn't fair. Beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and I'm here just to tell people about your great love and your grace. God, what are you up to? I thought you were going to protect me. I thought you were going to, I thought I went out in your name and in your power and in your authority. And now look, he, me and my buddy Silas, we're, we're in prison. We've been beaten, and God, this isn't fair. Uh, you know, I'm done with church. You know, Paul never said that. Paul never said, I'm, I'm never going back to my small group. He never said that. Paul never said, I'm not going to give anymore. I'm not going to serve in ministry. I'm done with Jesus. 
says, you know, I'm done with all. He never did any of those things. Not Paul, not Silas. And why did they not do those things? Listen, this is very important. I take you back to this big thought because they continually remembered what you and I usually forget, and that is whenever we have a problem, God already has a plan. God already has a plan. And God had a plan. They're in prison, all right? Strip, you remember that? Wave at me. Beaten with wooden rods, you remember that? Thrown into prison, and what are are they doing in prison? Now, if it had been most of us, again, if we took Paul out of the story and inserted ourselves, we'd just be in there bellyaching, complaining, bemoaning our circumstance, and God, why, you know, why am I in this, you know, dark, dingy jail, this prison? Why am I having to go through these things? But you know what it says Paul and Silas are doing? You know, a lot of you have read this before. They are praying and they're worshiping God. They're like worshiping God. Now, I mentioned to you that Long before we ever had problems, God has a plan. God had a plan. And God was not finished. It wasn't that God said, hey, I'm not going to protect you, boys. You're just sort of on your own from this point till the day of your death. But God had a plan. And while they're in prison, long before the uh, jail doors ever open, they're praying and they're worshiping God. And the other prisoners are just thinking, are these guys out of their mind? They've already heard, I'm sure, everything that has happened to them. They probably know the reputation, at least Paul, maybe even Silas. And like, what are these guys doing? And, you know, they're back there and we can hear them. We can't see them because we're chained in our own area of prison. But we hear these guys and they're praying out to the God that has allowed them to be put in prison. They're worshiping God, even though they've got a huge amount of problems on their hand. Where's this going to lead? And God, while they're praying and while they're worshiping, God sends a powerful earthquake. It shakes this prison. The jail doors go open. And, you know, you'd think they immediately run out. And when this all occurs, when this is going down, the jailer actually takes out his sword. And he's about to kill himself because he knows he's going to be killed anyhow for letting these notorious prisoners get out. And Paul's like, no, 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 don't do, don't do that. We're not going anywhere. We're right here. Listen, you know, turn the light on. We're, we're not escaping we're here, and ultimately what it turned out, that they did go free. They actually went free. You keep reading the story. They went out, but before they did, this jailer invites Christ to become the Savior and the leader of his life, and not only him, but his entire family becomes born again. And here we go back to this big dog. Before we ever have a problem, God always has a plan. How many of you are glad of that? Big thought number two. You ready? This one won't take as long, and I don't have as long to give it, but I want you to be sure you get it. Big thought number two. We have short-term plans, but God has eternal long-term purposes. We have short-term plans, by the way. We also have short-term perception, but God has eternal purposes, long-term purposes. Is God a miracle-working God? Is he? Is he the God who watches over us? Is he the God that really is continually protecting us from harm? Absolutely. God does all of those things, all those things. As I mentioned to you last week, uh, God is protecting you and me in ways that we can't even see because we don't see what God sees, and we don't know what God knows, and we don't even see times when God is protecting us. If we get stuck in a traffic jam, and we're like, ah, I don't want to be stuck in a traffic jam, and we don't know what's ahead, and we don't know that God was protecting us from something else or we we're redirected in some way and we don't realize that God is protecting us well if God is constantly protecting us does that mean then that every everything this side of heaven 
is always going to make sense to us? And the answer to that is definitely not. Uh, Francis Chan, he's a great writer, great speaker. And this is not on the screen. Let me just read it uh, to you. He's, it's from his book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our uh, Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. It's a great book. You may want to read it sometimes. He said, God wants us to trust him to provide miracles when he sees fit. He doesn't just dole miracles out mechanically as if we put in a quarter, pray the right prayer, and out comes a miracle. Miracles are never an end in themselves. They're always a means to point to and accomplish something greater. Now, let me real briefly give you the track record, give you the resume on God. It's impressive. Perfect. Faultless. Loving. Wise. Omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. And at the end of the day, and in the middle of our troubles and adversity, it is always a good thing to remember that he is a very good God. And that as I've been saying to you intentionally two or three times now, it's impossible for you and me to see what God sees or to know what God knows or to do what God does. Having said that, there are some things that you and I can do. A lot we can't, a lot we can't see, a lot we can't do, a lot we don't know. But there are three things that you and I can do in, in regards to miracles of perfect, uh, protection. And that is number one, number one. It's under this second big idea. Number one, we ought to pray for protection. Pray for protection. You ought to do that. I, I pray I pray for the protection of my family all the time. And you, you can do that. Pray for the protection of your family. I call them all by name. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for your spouse. You ought to. You pray for your grandkids. If you have grandkids, pray for your friends. Pray for your business. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for the protection of people. I call them all by name. You know, I just go right down the list. I, was, I, I get here early on uh, uh, get here early on Sunday mornings and work with our team a little bit. Then I slip off and try to get the talk sort of pounded back into my, my brain, the, the writing I've been doing. And so I, I slip away, and I was getting ready to slip away, and I noticed that uh, I, had a, uh, I had a video from my daughter-in-law, and her and Brody were up early and just, just reading a book, and he's just cackling. And, and that's a little guy and his sisters and all of my family, I just call out their name to God every single day. And you can do this, and you should do this. Pray God's protection over your family. Pray God's protection over your friends, over your coworkers. Secondly, this is really imp important. Worship God even before you get an answer to your problem. Worship God before you even get the answer to your problem. How many of you know it's a whole lot easier to worship God once the answers come? Yay, yeah, God, God. You know, we've been in the molly grubs and just bemoaning and complaining and frustrated, and then God answers, and then we celebrate. No, celebrate before the answer ever comes. You with me on that? Are you, are you awake? Are you? Can we get the cafe team to bring in more coffee? Worship God before the answer ever comes. That is a faith move. That is a faith move. I haven't mentioned faith. You don't need to miss next week. There's so many things correlated. The Bible says about faith, and I'm, I'm so excited about that talk, but I can't get to that talk because I've got to finish this talk. 
What did Paul and Silas do while incarcerated in that dark, depressing, demoralizing jail? They sang praises to God. And they did it long before the earthquake ever came. They did it long before the jail doors ever opened. Thirdly, trust God completely. This too is a faith step. Trust God completely even when it's nonsensical and unreasonable. Trust God completely even when it's nonsensical and unreasonable. Now, how is that even possible? It's possible for this reason. We've been talking about it. Big idea one, big idea two. Because even before you have a problem, God already has a plan. And furthermore, God has eternal, long-term purposes, whereas you and I, generally speaking, possess short-term perceptions and plans. Paul was not a perfect guy by any means, but this is something that he got incredibly right. And I want to just end by some of the things. This is some of the things that Paul said. There's a lot that he said, but I want you to just look at a few. This is what he said. Look at it. Here's the first one. He said, for this reason, I'm happy when I have weaknesses. That's interesting, isn't it? So what, what I was talking about earlier, that even, he said, even in insults and hard times and sufferings and all kinds of uh, troubles for Christ, he, he wasn't like, hey, bring it on. I just love it. I just love problems. He wasn't messed up in his head. But this is what he knew. He said, because, read the rest of this with me, when I am weak, then I'm truly strong. Look at these two verses from Romans. These are great verses. Look at them. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Anything? Is there anything that's going to cause God to stop loving us? Jesus stopped loving us? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? But don't we do that? Time out. Don't we do that? God, why am I walking through this? God, why am I going through this? Why is this happening in my life, in my family, in my business, in my career? God, why am I? Don't you love me? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Aren't you watching over me? Aren't you protecting me? Don't you know what I'm going through? Can anything separate us from, the, uh, from Christ's love? Look at what he says in verse 37. He said, no, absolutely not. Despite all these things and more, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And if you've not memorized this verse, I encourage you to this next one. Look at this next verse, last one. And we know that God causes everything. Say that word with me, everything. One more time. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. There are those of you here this morning as we close, you need to give your life to God. Does that mean you're going to understand everything about God? No. Does it mean that the ways of God are always going to make perfect sense to you? No. Because you can't see what God sees. And you don't know what God knows. And you can't do what God is able to do. But what God did is God sent his son Jesus into the world to die for your sins and to die for my sins. You and I are not going to get into heaven despite what some people think on the basis of good behavior. We're not going to earn our way. You can't do enough good acts. You could do continuous acts every day of every week, every week of every month, every month of every year, and it not be enough because you and I are only able to get into heaven because we've received Christ as the Savior and the leader of our life. And there's only, listen, one way to get to heaven. If there were seven, guess what? I'd tell you all seven. But there's not. There's one way. And the one way to get to God and the one way to get to heaven is through Jesus. And some of you are saying, well, I don't like that. Well, I don't make the rules. I don't. But that's how you get to heaven. 
But Jesus has made it possible because he took all of your sins, sins you've committed in the past, sins you're com- currently doing, sins you would commit in the future. And all that was placed upon Jesus. All my junk is placed on Jesus. And he died in our place. Would you trust him to be your savior? Let me ask you a question. Who else are you going to trust? Well, you've got options. You can trust the government with your eternity. Do you want to do that? You can trust your friends with your eternity. You want to do that? No, they've got more problems than you do. You can trust, no, trust Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. Nothing you could ever do would cause God to stop loving you. And no matter what you're walking through, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. You could never do so much that he'd stop loving you. You could never do so much that it would make him love you any more than he does right now because his love for you is perfect. I want you to give your life to Jesus. Trust him. Put your hand in his hand and trust him to be the miracle worker in your life to protect you and watch over you from now to your dying day. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? If you're, if you're not yet a Christian and you want to become one, you want to take your hand and put it in the hands of Jesus and, and you want to just say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to trust you with eternity. I want to trust you to forgive me of my sins. I want to be in a relationship with you. While nobody's looking around, just put your hand straight up in the air as high as you can and give me just a second to see it. Just straight up in the air. Give me just a moment. Right there. I see your hand. I see your hand right over there. Let me just look for just a second. All right? Everybody stand. Would everybody stand? I want to lead you in a prayer, and you can pray it right there in your mind and your heart. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. We'll only take a moment, and then I want to pray over all of us. If you're not yet a Christian and you're going to say, I want to trust Jesus today. I want to give my life to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. A lot I don't understand. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that forgiveness of sin is found in you. Jesus, come into my life. Make me a brand new person. Give me the confidence of knowing that my life, although it will not be perfect, my life is going to be found in you every day. As you're watching over me, every day as you're protecting me, every day as you're guiding me. And one day when I die, I know I'm going to be in heaven. Jesus, come into my life. And then, Father, I pray for all the rest of us. We know that you're a miracle-working God, and we trust you. We trust you for protection. And even though we have problems, it seems that our problems don't go away. They just change. We're going to praise you in advance of the answers that are going to come. We're fully aware that in our pain, you have good plans, and you have good purposes for us. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, see you next week. Miracles of healing. You don't want to miss it. Love you, everybody.